This is the intro song for the Never Daily podcast that we do called The Hugs Podcast. Let's start by taking a deep breath of something, preferably air. And as the emotional, pensive guitar music comes in, let all of your worries go. Take another deep breath and prepare yourself for this episode. It might suck. Or... It might free your earballs to soar with the beagles. This is the Hugs Podcast. Welcome to another riveting edition of the Hugs Podcast. I am the operator. Uh, I'm Jack Luna. Ken? Ken Chungus. Hey, we are we're, we're Hugs Podcast. Hey, uh, I got to work on my intros. You actually, yeah. I don't think I have to work on my intros. I, I kind of feel like... you. Uh, I'm carrying us on the intro. Um, I feel like we did a really, really good job there. All, all two of that? us, me and Jack. <laughs> two Ochezine. Two Ochezine. Okay, well, let's, you know what, we're going to jump right into it. After, I don't know if you guys saw, but we got rave reviews um, on, the, on the first episode. Worldwide, worldwide. We got so many emojis and like buttons it was great it really warmed my heart hopefully it warmed yours too and so if you're listening to this you're back and we're back and we're going to start with something that rhymes with back and that's jack thanks man okay well we're gonna get right into it then i guess so uh i have a question for you guys have you ever been lost or stranded, or marooned. I'll start with the operator. Operator, have you ever been lost or stranded? You mean spiritually, or like it doesn't geographically? Matter. Whatever you want, however way you want to go about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, here's a weird one. Like, it was probably five, six years ago. I went, I, I, I needed to buy something from Home Depot, <laughs> and the one that I would normally go to uh, didn't have what I needed, but there was another one uh, across town. So I went to that Home Depot, and I got my stuff, and the I, I start to leave, and the sliding doors open, and I step out onto the sidewalk with my cart, and I look at the surroundings, and I had no idea. Like, nothing was registering as familiar. It was so weird. It, I, I felt for a moment, you know, those people where they just like their memory lasts like part of the day and then it stops working kind of thing. I felt like that. I, it freaked me out. I felt, I felt like I had a, a amnesia all of a sudden. It took me probably a good five, six seconds. You got lost at Home <laughs> yeah. Depot? I this not is only not got, what I was looking for. You're describing a stroke. <laughs> it was crazy. But I think it was just 
the, you know, the parking lot's deep, which kind of it, it, the parking lot erases a lot of the geographical features around, you know, the points of interest where I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I know where I'm at. You know, like it's sort of, it was like losing your car on steroids. Like I walked out and I was like, where am I? It felt very weird for a split second, just long enough to panic. And then it went away. That's a really odd answer to that question. But it, you know what? <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with it. Okay. Because I was going to talk about a time where I got lost in the woods for like six hours and they sent a search party for me and they ended up finding me and there was like a vulture flying around my head and I was thinking about going into the woods and like building myself a fort and, you know, I was going to tell that story, but instead I'm going to tell this one that's similar to your stroke that you had there. So <laughs> it was... It, it was Halloween and my son was two years old and for Halloween, I used to have a few drinks and he's getting all ready and stuff. And I go outside and I'm looking around and I see the kids are starting to come. Kids are starting to come. And we're not quite ready. We're not, we don't even have candy. I was planning on getting out of the house and shutting off all the lights so that no one would come to the house. So I'm out there. And like I said, I had a couple of drinks. I might have smoked a little bit of weed getting ready to take my kids out as the sole guardian to my children as I go around the neighborhood like this. As you would. Yeah. And uh, I see the house across the street is all set, and they got, like, a, a, a cool setup for Halloween. So I just walk over, and I end up walking right up to the door, and I knock on the door, and the lady opens it. She goes, hey. I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, what? what am I doing? Why am I here? Like, I don't have a kid with me? Like, trick or treat? Like, what? <laughs> wait, like, wait, you, I, I, it was like a, it was like a moth to a lamp. You just like kind yeah. of flittered over <laughs> to this house. You're like, knock, knock, knock. <laughs> well, yeah. And like I what? said, it was one of my first times taking my son out trick or treating. I believe it was the first time. And I just, in my stoned kind of inebriated state, got drawn to it like a moth and was right at the door knocking. It's happened to me before when I was, like, trying not to drink, say. And I'd be at the store and I'd see the beer store across the street and suddenly I'm inside of it ordering an eight-pack. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not, I'm, I thought I was not going to, oh, I guess I'm drinking. Uh -huh. So, like, the, <laughs> the, the mental thing happened to me right on that Halloween day. So, yeah, stranded, lost, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to dock it with your story there. I like it. Um, also concerning is you went to the door alone, yet you were the sole yeah. caregiver over your child. Where was your child at this moment? Okay. <laughs> I should say this. My uh, fiance, well, she was getting the kids ready. Okay. She was getting the kids, but I was going to be going out with them to go trick-or-treating, and I just went up to the to the house. Oh, this is pretty cool. That's, Halloween's cool. That's very, Yeah. I knocked on the door. The thing is, when you don't have your son, you just kind of look like a serial killer. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, what are you, little boy? I don't know. I'm a grandma. Uh, for Halloween? I'm, I'm a little confused. <laughs> My name's Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Jack. Here's some candy. She just throws one of those, like, little miniature fireballs. <laughs> like... <laughs> I was like, I'll be right back. I think you need this. <laughs> the hotel liquor. Anyways, oh, one more, one more okay, real fast okay. on that. because yeah. I'm, mm. blowing, I'm blowing in here. But uh, I was at uh, uh, Wonderland, which is like a big kind of like Disneyland thing, but crappy here in Canada. And <laughs> went to go on one of those uh, swan rides, you know, uh -huh. with a yeah. couple of my friends. And it's and we get to, we get up there in the line, and again, all stoned and drunk and everything. And we just want to go and revisit our past and go on the swan ride. And the guy goes, you need to have a kid with you. 
you know, on this ride. And I go, I go, Oh, I'll go find one and be right back. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like calling security on me and stuff. Anyways. That's How about you, Ken? <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I mean, I'm going to go with what I was originally going to tell because um, unlike apparently the both of you, I don't get blood clots. <laughs> so uh, whenever I was a young buck uh, in my hometown, there's not much to do. It's like, here are the options. Play a game of pickup basketball, go fishing, or, or crystal meth. <laughs> That's that's the three options, and but we do have a cave in a place called Mullen Station, which is a very shady area of my town, where there's an old caving system, and it's like kind of a popular hangout spot for teenagers and stuff. But the thing about Mullen Station is there have been multiple murders down there because of how secluded it is, and there's always the rumors, you know, when you're in high school that that devil worshiper devil worshippers go down there to do their their weird devil worshiping things because the satanic panic is still going on in my hometown oh i know that that was a 80s 80s thing but still very prominent in rockcastle county kentucky <laughs> so we we get one night we go caving and i'm with i'm with three of my friends and i actually have their names written down here but i think because of the nature of the story and because of the fact that one of them is now deceased um i'm, I'm not going to say their names but um so it was me, me and a guy, and then two girls. So two guys, two girls. Uh, before we go, you got to get into this cave, you have to go through uh, a stream. And if it rains while you're in there, the stream will, because it's a small opening that, that you access by getting into the water. So if it rains while you're in there, the water rises, and then you're stuck. Oh, yeah. There's no way to get out. So before we go in, my buddies... Uh, they smoke pot and they pound alcohol. Yeah. And I'm the only sober one, and it's not that I don't partake in mind-altering substances. I just happen to not do it this night. We also told nobody where we were going, and we only had one flashlight. <laughs> so this is like we're very responsible, as you can already mm. tell. We get into the cave system. The three people that I'm with are stoned and drunk, and... We get way, and this cave system goes for miles. It opens up after you get it, go into the opening of the cave. It opens into this massive cavern, and then there's all kinds of little like splits. It just goes in all kinds of different directions. We got way back in there. We had walked for probably an hour, and the flashlight battery started dying, and I panicked. But I'm the only one panicking because everybody <laughs> else is stoned and high. They don't give a swear word, like whatever. <laughs> and the only thing I could think of to do was lay down and go to sleep. Everybody needs to lay down. I'm thinking, we got to sleep this off. (laughs) So we find a place, and we cut the light off, the only light we have, and we all go to sleep. And I don't know how long we slept. It was pitch black. I know that I was dreaming. I had dreams. So it could have been an hour. It could have been four hours. I don't know how long we were asleep. But thankfully, uh, when we woke up, they were at least coherent enough to realize the the direness of our situation. And then we are one single lot to navigate our way out of the cave. And the story, honestly, when I'm telling it, isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Well, join the club. So (laughs) I think we all, we all hit that bar to, with our first round of, I'm glad those aren't the prepared stories. 
thanks everybody. This was the Hugs Podcast. What sack that was that was my prepared story. Oh no. <laughs> what here, here's how dumb I am. I don't know why, but like just before you finished before you woke up in your story, I was about to ask you, did you make it out? Yeah, <laughs> he's still in there. <laughs> not quite sure what I was thinking. Well, I got a story to tell then. This is the story of Ada Blackjack. An Alaskan Inupak woman. Uh, Inuit, but Inupak, which I've read to mean real people. And we'll soon find out just how real Ada Blackjack was. Ada was born in 1898 in Solomon, Alaska, and raised by Methodist missionaries who taught her to read English. Earlier in her life, Blackjack relocated to Nome, Alaska, where she married and gave uh, birth to three children, whom she was to raise with her first husband. His name was Jack Blackjack. Uh, Only one of those children survived past infancy. Jack Blackjack, which sounds like a made-up name, but... You know, I guess every name is a made-up name. Was a dog musher. He lived a hard life. And after a period of hardship and abuses that he doled out on Ada, he deserted his new wife and their five-year-old son. Remember, again, the other two children passed away. So she's left with the five-year-old son. I believe his name is Bennett. The separation left her destitute, and she was forced to backpack her child 40 miles, 40 miles across harsh landscape back to Norm, Alaska, where she then placed her son in an orphanage as he'd become too much to care for after contracting tuberculosis. She needed money for his treatment, and soon after leaving him in the orphanage in 1921, she joined an expedition across the Chukchi Sea to Wrangell Island, led by Canadian Alan Crawford, but financed, planned, and encouraged by Vialjimur Stephenson who is from Manitoba, where I'm from. This is kind of why I'm hip to this story. Ada was told she would be one of a few Inuit women sent on this expedition to help with cooking and sewing and tending to the needs of the men on this journey. But this was a lie. She would be the only woman sent. Wrangell Island is located 250 miles off the Alaskan coast and 100 miles north of Siberia, so in the middle of nowhere. It was too difficult a piece of land for the British to sponsor the trip, which normally would happen. The island is shrouded in fog most times, as well as surrounded by ice much of the year. Stephenson was to fund this trip himself, and he sent a ragtag group of his own collection to stake claim to the spot over a period of two years. Ada was promised a salary of $50 a month. The men were to be paid $1,800 for the year, which is three times as much. Stephenson, Canadian-born, Manitoban, with Icelandic roots. Uh, Wikipedia describes him as an American Arctic explorer and anthropologist. As a train comes in behind me, I'm sorry if everyone can hear that. I live... <sighs> he, <there it> right. <laughs> he sent five settlers, one Canadian, three Americans, and uh, Ada Blackjack in a speculative attempt to claim the island for Canada. The explorers were handpicked by Stephenson based upon their previous experience and academic credentials. Stephenson considered those with advanced knowledge in the fields of geography and science for this expedition. He arranged for a ship to drop the crew off at an open ice point and promised to send supplies for after six months. They were expected to hunt for most of their food, but had a six-month supply regardless. On September 15th of 1921, the team was left on Wrangell Island, north of Siberia, to claim the island for Britain. 
the team included all these people that I talked about, but I'll name them now. The American men were Lauren Knight, Milton Gall, and Fred Maurer. Alan Crawford was a Canadian that was sent as well. But Maurer, the one American of the group, he had spent eight months in uh, 1914 on the island after surviving a shipwreck. So he was familiar with this island. They also took a cat named Victoria. So the conditions soon turned bad for the team. After rations ran out and the team uh, was unable to kill enough game on the island to survive, Ada wrote in a diary, quote, I thought at first I would turn back, but I decided it wouldn't be fair to the boys, end quote. And that's not her accent, but that's the one I gave her. (laughs) She would often head down to the beach to cry. The ship that was supposed to be sent after six months didn't even get sent. Buddy ran out of money, and he was like, whatever. I guess uh, they're going to have to figure this out until the ice melts, and, and we'll send somebody once I have the money. The crew on the island began to starve as a result. They had also used up all the wood for two miles around the area of their camp. On the 28th of January, 1923, three of the men tried to cross the frozen sea to Siberia for help and food, leaving Ada and the ailing Lorne Knight behind. Knight was afflicted with the dietary deficiency scurvy, and was to be cared for by Ada. Funny thing about scurvy, quick side note, a lot of people on ships, they would die of scurvy. They would die sleeping on pine boughs, and all they would have had to do was boil some water, put the pine needles in, and they would have got the vitamin C needed to cure their scurvy. But a lot of men died on the actual cure for what they were you know, afflicted with. Ada had packed tools, geological equipment, three 20-pound cases of hard bread, my favorite, and two five-gallon cans of seal fat for the men. Leaving herself and the ailing Lauren Knight to survive on what Ada could scrounge from the land for them. They had basically left these two thinking, you know, forget it. He's sick. She's Inuit. <laughs> I don't know, you know, what they were thinking. They're like, whatever. They, this is, this is uh, dead baggage. So we gone. But temps had dropped to near minus 56 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 48 degrees Celsius. That is cold, man. That is as cold as it is on Mars at times. The moon. And the men took the remaining dogs they had with them to speed their journey. They took everything. But a storm hit the island. Likely, you know, this is karma. The next day, and the men became immediately lost, and they did not survive their journey. They were actually never found. Likely, the ice melted later, and they just got bloomed under. But they were never found. Ada kept up camp and tried to care for Lorne, who berated her the whole time and treated her poorly, claiming she was starving him, though in truth she was giving him most of what she managed to kill, and keeping him comfortable on bags of oats, which doesn't sound super comfortable to me, but, I mean, it was enough to help him avoid bed sores. And uh, she was warming bags of sand to keep his extremities warm. Here's a quote from Ada's diary uh, again here. Go, he never stopped. And, oh, that's not, that's not a good one. That's not a good. Oh, oh boy. Ada Asian? He never stopped and think how much it half a woman to take four men's play. Oh, no. To wood, to wood work and to wood work and hunt for. Oh, God, I got to try this again. I'm sorry, guys. He never. <laughs> no, you're right. killing it. You're killing this podcast. You're killing it. He Keep never stopped and. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay, this is how it's going to have to be. Just kicking in the water. <laughs> he never. The way I do it stu- is, when I Ooh. start an accent, it's whatever comes out is what accent <laughs> I'm using. So go for it. I'm gonna try one more time. He never stop and think how much is hard for a woman to take four man's place to woodwork and hunt for something to eat 
for him and do waiting to his bed and take the shit out for him. End quote. He eventually nailed it. He eventually died. And uh, Ada was left alone to survive, which likely became much easier once her charge had passed away. There was much to worry about. She checked traps daily and found herself being hunted by polar bears. She was alone out there except for the cat, Victoria, who was hanging in. Ada had a rifle and ammo that left for her, also binoculars. And uh, she found herself she learning how to hunt on the fly. She hunted seal. Um, she was trapping Arctic wolves. She killed a reindeer. And though she had not been raised to know how to do such things, she quickly figured out how to survive somehow. They may be drawing from the base instincts passed to her by her ancestors. I don't know if that's racist somehow. Probably everything seems to be racist that I'm doing right now. And she managed to begin surviving better than the other four men who had been sent out with her to take care of such things. There was a broken boat that they had, and she fixed it. Uh, she used some driftwood and the canvas and fashioned herself a boat. The, the weather began to yield, and she started to fish. Ada thrived alone on the island. Uh, she she built a small tower to view approaching polar bear and prospective game. And the island began to yield food for her as the strain on the land from the other four men who were now gone eased. She thought she would die, but she didn't. She wrote a will, even. But as time passed, Ada's own will and natural ability saw her through. For the first time in her life, she was dependent on only herself and found that she was much better off on her own than she'd ever been under the dependency of men. Ada was finally rescued in August of 1923. This is two years in. They weren't expecting to find anybody on the island. And the men who rescued her said that Ada, wrapped in a reindeer coat, seemed to be thriving and had enough going on there to survive another year at least. She had figured out how to use some camera equipment and had taken photos of herself along the way. Photos you could find. And these photos make it seem as though she were just out on a recreational hunting trip. She's smiling. She seems well fed. The cat Victoria with her, you know. And this cat survived the whole ordeal as well. In closing, it's uh, of interest to note that the Russians had already claimed Wrangell Island uh, before they set out to do this expedition to claim the land. So this was all for nothing. The Russians had claimed it five years previous to the expedition. Uh, no internet back then, so they couldn't double-check on these things. Uh, further interest is that Stephenson, the guy who planned this trip that was doomed in every way imaginable from the start, uh, in the end was the only one who truly profited by writing a book about the adventure. A second-hand account, of course. Ada was able to use that money she did get to help her son, Bennett, to get to a hospital where he was successfully treated for his tuberculosis. Ada Blackjack died in her 80s in Alaska and never profited in any way from the ill-fated adventure, though she'll forever be known as the female Robinson Crusoe. Wow. What a great story. Thanks, guys. And the, the first winner of season one of Alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she would have killed those fools. You know some of that show yeah. Alone that all the guys like miss their families, but all the women, they just end up running out of food? It's almost like the guys run out of food, and then they start like looking for grasping at straws to blame their circumstances on it. It's always it's not that they couldn't survive. It's like they just miss their families. Yeah. <laughs> they got to make, make up an excuse. The women are always having a much better time. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. They're enjoying the scenery. They're like petting flowers. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the guy at camp, like I just, you know, <laughs> my wife, man. Like I just, <laughs> it's five hundred thousand dollars ain't worth it. I just want to see my kids. This chick lasted two years. Oh, and she was thriving. She it was like when they showed up, she was like, "Hey guys, what's going?" On? Oh yeah, I guess I could be rescued here. Having a good time though. 
You guys can, you know, make a laugh. Yeah. Come back around. Take, you got other swears that you got to do. <laughs> you, you know what's weird, though? As I heard this story, I got sad about something. And that something was, you guys, you guys heard of this, uh, either it's coming out or it already came out, I think, the She-Hulk movie. Have you heard I of? I've seen She-Hulk. Okay. Have you heard of the um, uh, Ghostbusters 2 where they replaced everybody yep. with ladies, right? Yep. Or any recent Marvel comic where they just make it all about ladies? My point is this, is they, they keep like swapping out, like in entertainment, they keep swapping out, trying to, trying to you know, p- portray women as stronger. So they use these big shows. You got a problem with that? Yeah, okay. Here's my problem. Is they use these big shows to try to cram it down our throats, right? When Ada Blackjack's story is just sitting here ready like this is pirates of the caribbean times two you know like seriously yeah this would be an amazing movie they should do it they're they're phoning it in on making like repurposing characters i hear you so they're like well what now we're going to show everybody by we're going to take away all the men characters and just do women and you're going to see how powerful women i'm like no how about you actually make movies about Amazing women. This is better than any fiction. You know? Why don't we have a movie about Amelia Earnhardt? Yeah, exactly. right. That'd be awesome too. A single movie about Amelia Earnhardt. Good question. You know what it's like? It's like the Ghostbusters movie, like you said. It's like, hey, we'll let you guys play too. And, yeah, and that's almost chauvinistic in itself, that's right? What I'm, and, and yes. People, yeah, yeah. It's it, it. And the only reason the movie theater seem to be or the Hollywood seems to be doing it is because it's playing well in politics it's playing well in society so they're like let's do more women stuff but man just think about it. like how what are, what are the odds that some really solid movies with entertainment value like this could have been have rolled across their desk and instead they're like nah she hulk you know yeah yeah she hulk i know and, and dude there's so much more to this story that i'm not able to cover and i'll shed out the book at the end when it comes to the hugs but i mean she got polar bears hunting her this whole time and uh she shows up and does better like kent said on anybody on alone i mean we're talking two years and you're not even put in a spot where it's supposed to be a good place to be able to hunt and all that she and she didn't even know how to when she got there she figured it out yeah that's the difference in this and alone is the the spots the drop-off points and alone are pre-scouted they make sure that they're even survivable. This is a bad spot she was in. Yeah, and in this story, they made sure the area for two miles around was pre-scoured, right? I mean, they yes. they deleted the terrain before they left yeah. it just up to her. Yeah. Even more amazing. There's a lot with this story, man. Like, she was in love with one of the guys, too, who ended up leaving. And she has diaries that you can read and all that. And again, I will shout out the book at the end, but this is, it was too big of a story. Yeah. And I tried my best just to, just to encapsulate it. That's I mean, really good. Hey, one more thing. Uh, Kent, did you say why isn't there a movie about Amelia Earnhardt? Yes. I could I can understand that is amazing that you said that. Uh you're from Kentucky, correct? <laughs> yeah, when, well I I'm I'm assuming that what is getting ready to happen, <laughs> I can only speculate, is that there's going to be some kind of connection uh because of my location uh you're going to make in in the word Earnhardt and Dell Earnhardt and I probably pronounced it wrong. Because her name's Amelia Earhart. And you said Earnhardt, which is so perfect. It's like, she's the NASCAR of the skies. They both crashed and burned. Yeah, Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. Dang. I I quickly want to say something something about that is that we are going to start doing 
an extra where it's called uh, Hugs Reach Around the World. And I'm sorry if I'm preemptively doing this there, but it sounds like a good opportunity to do it where the operator takes us around the world because Kent and I will tend to do cases that are like, you know, North American or whatever. And uh, the operator is a more worldwide guy. And he's going to take us and tell us, hey, we're going to go to Africa this time or go to China. And Kent and I will have to come up with a story for that particular place. And that will be exclusive to Patreon. I was sitting here thinking, you know, all three of us are relatively landlocked and our stories have, you know, have a tendency to be landlocked. But there are some amazing things that happened around the world. And I thought, what better way than to hug that we could do a reach around the whole world? Just really, really grip the rest of the world tight hugs reach around the world mm-hmm. yeah kent and i thought that that was a pretty good name hugs reach around that you came thank you that. We like that. I, I wouldn't have thought that that one would have came from you it's gonna be good all right who's up i think kent's up i'm up and and today and this wasn't by design but i'm getting ready to exit out all of that female empowerment that we just <laughs> 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 just gotta happen this way um <laughs> uh hey uh Hey, Op. Yes, Kent. Who was the the manliest the manliest man that sh- that you that you ever knew that had man? Mm, like personally, or like just that I viewed like anywhere. Personally, that you somebody you knew in your life. Who was somebody you're like, wow, that is like a brawny man. That guy could could wrestle a bear. Well, I don't know him, but I will tell you this quick little uh, snippet. So I don't know him, but one time. I was standing at a red box, and at this time, the red boxes, this was like late, uh, early 2000s, I guess, because they didn't have them in the late 1900s, did they? They There was only a 2000s thing. No. Okay. No, no not in the late 1900s. So the red box at this time was in the Walmart, but it was in the breezeway, you know, that place where like the carts are. So the red box was in there. So I was at this red box. And in the town where I was, it was a small agricultural town. And uh, for uh, for some reason, I was waiting for the red box to do something. So I'm like, kind of people watching, people coming in from the breeze through the breezeway, right? And I know my I caught I I caught uh, this one gentleman caught my eye. He was a very small farmer. Like I'll bet you he was maybe five four, like a small gentleman, very frail too. And older, too, probably 70, um, you know, just normal farmer clothes, you know, just looked like he probably came right out of the field. So he walks in, and he he walks in from the parking lot, and right behind him is his son, who was probably 6'3", but just, like, God-given Hulk, like the the kid was a massive he was probably 17 like not an old old kid so you're just sitting there in the breezeway admiring this 17 year old boy <laughs> yes yeah. he came through Tuesday and I, nights. I couldn't take i couldn't take my <laughs> eyes off of him i was like that is an amazing specimen like just and the thing was you could see it in his face just like he was following his father, you know, they, like he was that kind of a kid. You could just see it. Yeah, There's a whole story written right in that moment when I saw them come through. He wasn't one of these kids that's like stuck in his phone or, you know, sick, you know, didn't want to be there. He was there with his dad, you know, and, but he was just a massive, massive individual. 
And, but but it was all farm muscle. I'm sure of it. Like the, he didn't look like he was a bodybuilder or anything. But I was just like, wow. I want. I wish I knew where that kid was now. It's probably, hopefully, not dead. You started off that sentence with "I wanna." Yeah, I heard that, and, and then you changed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious as to the connection your brain was making before you cut like it off wanna, there. You stopped the like signal. I want to find him. I want to. <laughs> yeah. Do what? I want to look at that <laughs> mouth one more time. Kind of. No, he's just a beautiful, beautiful man. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Hmm. What about you, Jack? Uh, I'll make it quick. Uh, I, I don't have much to draw from. I can't think. I mean, um, my grandfather, who I didn't know very well, but I met him a couple of times. He was in World War II. From what I could tell, he was close to being a street person by the time I got to see him. Uh, he was living in a place called Cabbage Town with his... These aren't my words. These are his. His squaw girlfriend. So that wow. would be a callback to the Inuit conversation. Is this, this is hugs. We're trying to not be like this. And apologies right. to you. We're trying so, so hard. hard. But, that, <laughs> but that's what he called her. Mm. Uh, she died falling down some stairs. I don't know how it happened. But So I, I went to go see him with my brother when we were young. And uh, my dad knocks on the door. And this is my recollection. It might be a little bit fuzzy. But my dad would bring a case of beer. And my grandfather opened the door in his boxer shorts, no shirt. And he didn't even say hi to us. He just cracked open the case. We're at the doorway still. And he grabs one of those old chubby beers, cracks it open with his face, and just chugs the whole thing. Wow. And then he looks at us and he goes, tastes like another. Come on in. And that <laughs> we come in, <clears throat> smoking cigarettes, rolling his cigarettes, drinking all the beer. Hey, you boys want to learn about boxing? My uh, grandfather was like a uh, lightweight Canadian uh, military boxing champ, apparently. And uh, so he takes us down out into this crappy neighborhood. And this prostitute's walking by. And this one African-American prostitute walks by. And my grandfather seems to know her. And he says, ain't you worn that thing out yet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> time Sweary swear. I am assuming. And then we go to this boxing place. And we walk in, and he walks in like he owns the place. He's got no shirt on. He's got literal boxing boxers on. These are not boxer shorts. They are boxer shorts. And I'm going to show these kids a thing or two. And they're like, get the hell out of here. They kick him out. They're like, you're not allowed in here because he's done something previous. And we all get kicked out. I'm like four years old. <laughs> and then we went. I love And then we left. <laughs> wow. That's and that was it. it. I I think that's the manliest man I've ever met was my grandfather. Just a visit to grandpa. Another. <laughs> yeah, he was in, he was in World War Two. He apparently got like a oh, like a tank. Is. A tank ran over some dirt and buried him at one point, and he had to get himself out. Um, and there's a few other stories, but I feel like I've said enough about uh, Wild Bill. Wild Bill was his nickname. Well, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> and we already knew that. <laughs> so. The manliest man that I think I ever knew. I was engaged once uh, to be to be married, and that's what that means when you're mm. engaged is um, that you're going to be married. But uh, things didn't work out, and that's fine. But uh, my fiance at the times' uh, father was a guy that I really looked up to a lot. I loved the guy, and uh, he was the manliest man. I had hands, big hands that were so calloused that they were like 
I would imagine what the thing from the Fantastic Four's hands felt like. You know, the rock guy from... Oh, yeah. Is that what he's made out of? I don't know comics that well. So, like, her hands, he probably had hands like her hands. Yeah, they're just callous, like half-inch thick yes. callous. Um, he was a con- I worked construction for him. He was my boss as well. And uh, the guy chain-smoked Newports. Nice. Chain drank coffee. There was always coffee in Newports. And, and was just old farm strength. Grew up on a farm. And, and could fix anything that he needed that broke anything. I drove an old El Camino with a 350 in it. And uh, he was just a construction foreman with these massive rock hands. He ran the he ran the job site after doing all the grunt work for years while chain smoking Newports, and uh, nobody would walk on him. And uh, I loved the dude, and unfortunately, he passed away um, from from cancer. And uh, I believe it was two thousand and fourteen. Oh. But uh, that was the manliest man that I ever knew, and he was a big influence on my life, actually. Uh, even after me and that lady broke up, uh, uh, I I liked keeping up with him. So, yeah, as as guys, I don't even like calling myself a man, but you do look to those people. Like you look to those people in your past, and you're like, what you know, they could do what I could, do, or I want to be like that, or I could do that. And that's why I drink as much and I smoke as much as I do to this day, because that's what Wild Bill would would have me do. Can I tell one more quick story? Absolutely. So with uh, Wild Bill. <clears throat> Uh, this is a story I heard secondhand as well, but uh, my father and my mom were helping Wild Bill and his squaw. Sorry, you know, that's what he called her. Squaw. I don't even know what that means. Squaw wife. Do you know what that means, Ken? Might not even be offensive. Is that what you call your wife? It probably is. <laughs> <laughs> um, into this place. They move them in, and they're so drunk and so screwed up that they, they immediately, the, the people that are renting this place are going to kick them out. And they're in there, and... Uh, I'm going to stop calling her what I'm calling her, but she's bit swear word at my dad. And my dad goes, Hey, old man, pass me one of those beers. And my dad opens up the beer. And as the girl, as the woman is bit more swearing at my dad, my dad just cracks it open and just dumps the entire beer on her head. Oh, <laughs> and she can't move much. Cause she's so screwed up. And it's like, well, it's time to go. Good no. luck. <laughs> and then they left. <laughs> what? And later in life, I dumped a whole beer in a girl at a party like that, too. And I was like, yeah, that felt good, man. That feels good. When someone's just like nattering at you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Pass me a beer there, old man. Crack. Glug, 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 glug. All over her head. It's all, you know, foaming up and stuff. And everybody's. And I think we're doing a really good job here at just curb stomping um, all of the. The, the female empowerment stuff that we did and we got that out of the way and then we trampled it and I think I, yeah I was uncomfortable with it and now I feel good again yeah. I was <laughs> I was going to say I think the beautiful thing about what we're doing here on the hugs podcast is we each come with a formatted story you know we, we come with something that really tugs at our hearts or something that's impacted us we wanted to share but in between we are very much ourselves aren't we in between those stories, yeah, you just can't just help it. Can't, just can't help it. And I think that's no. beautiful. I think it's beautiful and I think necessary in this day and age. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
Well, we're talking about, for my story, the story that I brought to the table <clears throat> involves a man by the name of Donald Butch Wyman. Of course. We already knew that. <laughs> I was using your line. Do you see how that? You used it. And then I said, but we already knew that. <laughs> yeah, there's a reach around there, buddy. Good job, Op. Butch was his nickname, and Donald was born in 1955. We're going to do a, a quick backstory here. He came into the world, uh, one of my favorite Op jokes, as a, ba- as a baby. Ah, yes. Uh, an eight-pound, six-ounce little human being. He would eventually grow into a six-foot hard-ass swear word. Ass with, a pain, with the pain tolerance of a rabid wolverine, but we'll get to that later. He was the oldest of four boys. Uh, he was always looking out for his younger brothers, you know, making sure they didn't fall onto spikes or whatever, whatever <laughs> that older brothers do. Uh, he grew up on two point... Where do they live? Vietnam? <laughs> know how boys are. Okay. I don't know how many spike pits I had to avoid on the farm that I grew up on. And uh, and Donald grew up on 2.5 acres in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, in a heavily wooded area. Now, by all accounts, he was an unbelievably hard worker from the time he was old enough to help around the house. So from the time he was walking, his parents had him, I don't know, out cutting the grass. And, <laughs> tough. And making, That's tough, man. Making the, making the spikes. <laughs> For the pits that he would have to <laughs> avoid later. Yeah. Avoid. Yeah, yeah. And they don't know why they were making the pits. They were just a, really a health hazard. And there were no Viet Cong in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. So, but uh, by all accounts, he was a hard worker from a young age. Loved the woods. Young little Donald Butch Wyman did. Loved the woods. Spent all his free time climbing trees and catching frogs and snakes and crawdads in the streams. And I did this a lot myself growing up. It is a fun activity when you're a young buck growing up in the country. Loved riding his bike through these winding paths that went between the trees and the woods. And he loved going camping with his family, hunting with his father. On many occasions, uh, he would, between the ages of 12 and 15, he would be dragged home by the game warden or the law for being caught out hunting on his own. Uh, way too young to be walking around out with, with guns looking for deer and turkey and squirrel. Very self-reliant young man. Very driven, fearless, polite. All the positive qualities um, that you would hope to have in a in a young man. And a young woman. What? Saved it. Just saved oh, it. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I miss a lady in this story already? Good job, Ken. <laughs> I was getting real nervous over here. Thank you, man. <laughs> At 12 years old, he gets a job as a caddy at the local golf course and uh, and starts spending all his most of his free time anyway uh, at work as a caddy, uh, you know, carrying golf clubs for rich guys that probably didn't appreciate it. And the reason he got this job was to start saving at 12 years old so he could get his own car when he turned 16. So he's pre-planning. He's got four years to save so he can have his own vehicle when he turns 16. After graduating high school, he gets a job strip mining, doing all the grunt work. He starts with a shovel, and he's already, you know, a shovel will quickly add callus to, to, to already calloused hands. I learned that the hard way when I work construction. A shovel will give you callus quicker than any other tool on the face of the earth. On his breaks, when everybody else was eating lunch and talking about the weather or the newest episode of a welcome back Cotter or the $6 million man. Donald was teaching himself how to operate a bulldozer. So he's 
you know, he's spending his free time working so he can be better at his job. He doesn't want to use that shovel his whole life. He wants to move up. He wants to make something of himself. Hard worker, hard worker, learning how to use a bulldozer on his free time. And at one point, not long after this, he falls in love with a young woman by the name of Janet, and they eventually have a son named Brian. Donald is a good father, a good husband. He's, he's still working his hands to the bone day in and day out to support his family, and they're living in a small, single-wide trailer, a little rundown trailer. Now, in between strip mining shifts, he would get side work as a deck builder, a carpenter, a mechanic, a bricklayer, whatever anybody needed. Um, basically, he's working from morning till night uh, to, to provide for his family. According to Donald's neighbor, while they lived in that trailer, Randall Keene, he could do anything that involved tools, wood, mortar, or engines. Now, by 1986, Donald had saved enough money to eventually get his family out of the small, little, cramped, dilapidated trailer that they called home. And uh, he purchased 27 acres in a rural part of Clarion County, Pennsylvania. And it was there that he had intentions of building his family their dream home. But he was going to do it by himself, by hand, all alone. Completely alone. He would occasionally get the help of his father. And this is exactly what he did for the next seven years. It was painstaking. It was slow. It's a one-man job. He's building this house from the ground up by himself for the most part. Now, what he would do is after work at, strip, at a strip mining job, he would clock out and then start gathering these huge timber this, these huge timber logs that had ba- essentially been thrown to the side so they could strip mine. He would gather them up, and if there were leftover trees in the area, he would cut them down, push them over, and then he would haul them off to the uh, mill to have them cut into boards. So there's a lot of work here, man. There's you drag these massive logs off, take them to the mill. This is all in a work after work after working at the mines. Take them to the mill, have them cut up, load the wood back up, take it to the job site, and then work till dark building the house for his family. And that brings us up to date to today's date. And today's date is Tuesday, July twentieth, nineteen ninety three. We're going back to nineteen ninety three for this story. Donald Butch Wyman is now 38 years old. He has just clocked out. Everybody has gone home but him. He's the only one left on the job site. It's just Donald and his calloused hands, and there's more work to be done, like always. Butch gets an 85-ton bulldozer and uses it to push over a massive red oak tree that he was going to use to make planks out of. The roots and everything come up out of the ground when he does so. Looks at the scene, something he's done a million times. Everything seems fine. And uh, at this point, he goes to cut the base off of the tree to get rid of all the, the you know, the roots and all that and make it a good clean log. Donald hops down from the bulldozer, drags out a 16-inch chainsaw, and, and gets to work. What Donald doesn't know, however, is that the tree, the enormous amount of pressure and weight has caused the tree to bow in the center. Uh which is unfortunately leaving a bunch of pent-up energy there that is going to come back and haunt him. When the saw busts through the the, the bottom end of the log, all that pressure is released in one horrible instant, and the whiplash of this massive red oak knocks Donald to the ground, and the tree lands halfway on his foot and shin. So he's pinned. his, His foot and shin are pinned to the ground by this massive red oak, Uh, probably weighs thousands of pounds, I would imagine. The pain was instantaneous. It had completely snapped Donald's tibia and fibula in half. 
And when he looks down, he sees that both bones have not only busted through his skin, but also his blue jeans. And jagged bits of bloody bone and meat stick out through his pants leg. He's in trouble now. He knows he's in trouble, but this is a manly man. This is the brawny man. This is the Marlboro man. This is every man you've ever seen in an action movie. Donald is stoic right to the end. He surveys the damage. He's in a lot of trouble. He knows it. He's bleeding profusely, and he's pinned by this massive red oak. And he doesn't know it yet, but his foot has just been essentially turned into mush. It's been smashed into mush. Donald assesses the situation, quickly realizes he's currently way the hell up Swears. creek, and there is not a paddle in sight. He yells for help for a few minutes, but like we said earlier, everybody had already left the job site. He's the only one there. Nobody ever comes to his aid. Everybody's left for the day. He's way back in the woods. Nobody is going to hear him yelling. Then I have to solve this problem myself. He's been doing this his whole life. This is just another drop in the bucket. So what does Donald do? What do you think he does? Does he lay there and die while crying and thinking about all the things he could have done differently? Does he start talking to Nana, telling her he'll be there to see her soon in heaven? To hell with that. Nana can go to hell. (laughs) Nana can burn right in hell. There's work to be done here. And we're talking about butch swearing and whining. (laughs) This isn't Nana. Nana's already sweary swear and burning in hell. This is butch whining. Donald grabs his chainsaw, fires it up, and starts digging at the ground underneath his calf into the ground with the running chain in an attempt to free his leg. So he's trying to cut his leg out of this predicament by digging into the ground beneath it. This doesn't work, though, and he soon finds out that his leg is actually pinned against a huge rock, not just dirt. So there was no give when that massive oak crushed his leg. No luck. No worries. Around this time, old Donald realizes what must be done. But when he realizes what must be done, the chainsaw runs out of gas. Damn. Gonna have to go manually, I suppose, Donald thinks. 127 hours? Try 127 seconds. There's too much work to be done to lay around for 127 hours. I've got shit to do. My family need a house. Donald pulls a pocket knife from his pocket and then sharpens it on the rock his leg is pinned against. He then pulls the starter rope up from the engine of the chainsaw and cuts it off. He makes a tourniquet from the starter rope from the chainsaw and a wrench that he found within reaching distance and cuts the blood supply off to his leg, and then he sets to work. Donald goes at his leg with that old pocket knife at the same ferocity and panic that you may go at a Thanksgiving ham. This is just another job that has to get done as far as Donald's concerned. There's work to be done. According to Butch, it took him about 20 seconds to completely cut his own leg off with a pocket knife. Jeez. Methodical, well-placed cuts going through tendon, muscle, and ligaments like he had done with deer and squirrel and turkey so many times before growing up. Now, with the last swap, felt his entire body weight shift backwards and his left thigh suddenly lift up in the air as if weight had fallen off the end of it. This had signified that he had successfully cut his own leg off with this pocket knife. He looks down, and all that's there now is a bloody stump right about an inch below his knee, his left knee. Old Butch then crawls 120 feet up the hill, climbs back into the bulldozer, and then drives a quarter of a mile back to his truck. 
He then climbs down from the bulldozer into the cab of his truck. But, unfortunately, his truck is a standard shift. Oh, no. It's a five-speed. It's not an automatic. No worries. Old Butch reaches down into the passenger side floorboard, pulls a large chainsaw file, which is, you know, you use to sharpen the chainsaw chains. The teeth. The teeth, yeah. He pulls that from the floorboard of his old pickup and uses his left hand to push down in the clutch. So he's driving with his left hand use, push, putting pressure on the clutch with a file. And he just drives to the nearest farm that he can find. He just hits the road. When he pulls up into the parking lot, into the driveway of this farm, he doesn't know these people. He rolls down the window and just starts yelling for help. A man by the name of John Huber was fiddling around inside his barn on an old tractor when he hears Donald's cries and hears the commotion. John steps out from his barn and sees the truck parked there in his driveway and a man yelling for him to come there. But John was hesitant. This is odd. He doesn't understand what's going on. When Donald sees John's hesitancy, he figures it's best to just let him know the situation without having to use a lot of words. So Donald, almost frustrated more than anything, swings the truck door open and sticks his stump out so that John can see it. And then he points at it like, look, old man, we got to take care of this because it is not ideal. (laughs) This isn't an ideal situation. (laughs) John Huber then runs into his house, calls an ambulance, and lets them know he'll meet them at Cool Springs Crossroads with Donald in tow. When he runs back out, Donald scoots over into the passenger seat, and John Huber gets behind the wheel. Now, halfway there, Donald feels like John's driving a little bit too fast. Got a little too much lead on his foot. And Donald, while sitting calmly in the passenger seat looking out the window, says, Slow down, will you? There's no need to cause a wreck. <laughs> Donald recovers like a champion. He's fitted with a false leg. And by November of that same year, just five months later, after cutting his own leg off with a pocket knife, he's back at it again with a brand new leg, dragging down trees, cutting them up, hauling them off, and then loading them to his new property to build his family a new house. Donald has a big, healthy, growing, hungry son, a smiling, happy wife that is still dreaming of her cozy cabin on her own piece of secluded land, and they're going to have all that too if he has anything to say about it. And before that can happen, there's work to be done. Wow. wow. That was cool. Yeah. I was hanging on to every word there, man. That was a great story. I like how you, you put in the 127 hours uh, shed out there too, because it's very reminiscent of that story. This is the story I would have rather have seen. You know, this is the OG. This happened in '93. So, and I'm sure there's probably been cases uh, of this in the past. Um, but I just love this guy. I love this guy. Family man loves his family, loves his wife, loves his kid, and doesn't let anything stop him. Can I give you something here, Kent? Like you had a couple of quotes there from from Donald. Was that his name, Donald? Donald yeah. Butch Woman. The way he speaks, right? So we have guys out here who work the rails. They work on the train tracks and all that. I went to go get some beer the other day, and uh, the way you were speaking, man, it was reminiscent of this guy that I met at the bar the other day. <clears throat> there was a bit of an argument that started happening. They just opened up the bar, so everyone go in there and drink. So I had a couple of drinks, and uh, a fight kind of starts breaking out. And they, this big lumberjack-looking guy uh, who the, the, fu- the trouble is being started with, and he's kind of giving it back to, and I'm like, damn, this guy's got a clean house. He goes, hey, you know what? Listen. I'm not looking for trouble, brother. There's enough of that in the world. 
<laughs> wow. And I, I immediately pulled up my phone and wrote it down because that's going to be the first line of a story I write someday. You know, I'm not looking for trouble, brother. There's enough of that in the world. I was like, dude, that is the... And I would no longer pursue trouble yeah, no, with no, that man. No, no, I just said that. <laughs> yeah. I got $10 that says he had cauliflower ears. Yeah, I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> too much hair all over his body to tell, man. Donald Butch Wyman. I would watch that movie. And especially when 127 Hours comes out, it's a success. Find more like that, right? And then do it. I think it's just impressive how quickly he made that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, because the from 127 hours, it took him 127 hours to come to that predicament. Yeah, that's true. You know. That's true. Donald still had his meal from lunch at work <laughs> and the water he had drunk from lunch fresh in his gut. <laughs> he had been pinned for minutes before he was like, swearing, and I have to cut it off. Yeah, and how quickly he did it, too. Like, you know, the dedication. Guys like that, like real men, like what we're talking about with your story there, like he just gets it done. You know, a lot of people will screw around, saw a little bit, and be like, oh, I can't do this, and keep it like the 127 hours guy. Now, I will give this to the 127 hours guy. He did also, the advantage that Donald had was the fibula and tibula were already snapped in half. Right. That's, yeah. a, that's an advantage for sure. Yeah. The meat slides off the bone easier that way. And that guy that, and from 127 hours had to snap his own bones, and that's probably the worst yeah, you're, part. you're right. You're right. For sure. Either that or going through the tendon. If you crank on a, a tourniquet, a lot of your lower extremity becomes numbed, too, so that probably helps in the process. Anyway, hey, I got a question for you guys. Hey, have either one of you ever heard of clothing? Yeah. I've actually been asked this question before, and it was by a police officer. <laughs> um. <laughs> I have heard okay. of clothing, Yeah, yes. me too. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which portion of your body's clothing do you find most interesting? Do you favor shoes or shirts or hats or pants or, you know, boxers? Like, if you had to think about it, what, where do you favor in the clothing department? I'll answer. Underwear. I, I think really? that the, the strides they're making in underwear are pretty cool, man. I got some of those MeUndies, not sponsored, never will be sponsored probably on this podcast. But, <laughs> like, man, those MeUndies are breathable. And, really? You know, they do have the pouch, right? Yeah, man. I can't fill that thing. I need to <laughs> dump some cotton in there to make it feel right. But no, it's, it's uh, yeah, definitely underwear. Underwear I'm into lately. Underwear. Oh, well, you can. I like shoes. Shoes. I love shoes. Really? Yeah. In my 20s, I was a shoe collector. I had probably, at one point, 15, 20 pairs of Air Force Ones. Whoa. Sneakerhead. So... Dang. Yeah, like, and uh, not so much anymore. But at one point, yeah, I was a big sneakerhead. Because that would have been quite a investment if you still had them right now. Probably, I would assume. I sold them all off, unfortunately. Ugh. And I had a a pair of ice creams. Oh, I don't know what that is, and, dude. Oh, this rapper made. Do you know what ice yeah, creams man, are? Yeah, I'm a sneakerhead too. Or at least I was until I just started wearing flip flops and having kids and not caring about anything. Just walking around with my my meundies but go ahead oh just i, I don't want to i don't even want to talk about how much i spent on these ice creams and this is what's stupid about being a sneakerhead i spent so much money on them that i didn't wear them so they just sat in my closet yeah T- tell us and then i gave them as a gift to my brother-in-law tell us how much did you spend on the ice creams <sighs> i think it was at the time uh close to 500 dollars. Yeah. wow okay um and they were mint condition 
had the box. They came with this little keychain. It was an experience. Mm, that's cool. Owning a pair of ice creams. So well, I was going to ask you both: Do you collect, or if not, if you chose to, which type of clothing items would you collect? So you both, you both are sneakerheads. Yeah, was yeah. Okay, was. Do you find yourself? collecting certain articles of clothing more than others like uh, personally i'm like a three pair of pants three pair of shorts guy but then i have 71 t-shirts yeah i saw a picture of myself recently from when my son was born like 10 years ago and this t-shirt i was wearing looked brand new and i looked down at myself and i was wearing that same (laughs) t-shirt and uh, but the the underneath the armpits was all yellowed out but I bought some deodorant. Oh, I'm supposed to counteract that. Okay. I would say, Jack, just knowing a little bit about you collect hats. You, you got a lot of toques in your country. Hats, headwear. When you go bald when you're 19, you got to start collecting hats. That's for sure. One day I woke up and I was like, I oh, guess it's over. guess I need to get a, you know, a sense of humor. <laughs> Or some hats. <laughs> or some hats. But it's admirable that you didn't fight it. Oh, I didn't You didn't try to get uh, hair transplants. Bill Burr says that hair transplants look like you just stapled ant legs <laughs> to the top of their head. <laughs> totally. I think you've got a great head, though. Like, you cover it with hats a lot, but you, you look really good. Like, when you bick your head or, you know, it, you look, I, I, you have a good head shape for that. So you should let that, you should let your hair down more often. I appreciate it, man. I'll, I'll look into yeah. it. He does have a beautiful head he shape. He does. Like, we've mm-hmm. turned his head shape into an icon for the 1159 media, you know, if you think about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. My head is shaped like Mr. Peanut. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky. You got a hell of a head of hair, man. You do. It's beautiful. That hairline and everything, man. Yeah. And your beard, like, oh. that's what I love is, like, all of your stuff is the same color. Mine is not... <laughs> I look like the Unabomber. Actually, mine is mine is starting to do what yours is doing. Oh, really? it's, it's the lower portion is turning white. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Kent? Do you uh, do you currently do you favor collections of certain clothing types over another? I have uh, probably the most impressive collection in Kentucky of cut off t shirts. <laughs> cut off, and that's saying that something in Kentucky. And I'm currently wearing right now a Prince Purple Rain cut off t shirt. Whoa. Look at that. That's amazing. Is that that old, too? Or that looks kind of newer? This is a newer one. This is a newer one. Do you cut the sleeves off yourself, or do you buy them that way? (laughs) Oh, no. For it to be genuine, you have to cut them off yourself. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, when uh, I'm sorry for so many questions on this, but when you purchase the shirt, being a cutoff shirt... Do you buy it in the same size that you would buy a normal T-shirt, or do you buy it, do you adjust the size to, like... You know, so it flows better as a cutoff or? Well, you have to get a size, and this is for, uh, you know, aspiring uh, hillbillies. Okay. You have to get a size larger uh. because if you don't, if you get your normal T-shirt size, when you cut the sleeves off because there's not as much movement in it, what will happen is eventually where you cut at the bottom underneath your armpit will start ripping. Oh, I see. I see because there's too much, just too much pressure. Yeah, and what you'll end up happening is is just two flaps, a flap on the front, a flap on the back, like one of those things that cowboys used to wear in the West. I don't know what those things were called or what what the purpose even of them was, honestly. A vest, you mean? No, you know how cowboys, and they would have that, like, they look like they were wearing a blanket. Oh, I see. It just had a head hole. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, inspired by our Mexican neighbors to the south. Like a poncho. Yeah, poncho. 
like a poncho. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what, if you do, if you don't go size larger, you just eventually end up wearing a poncho while you're doing yard work. I had an interesting experience, and I'm going to share it because uh, I thought it was cool. So, part one of the ex- interesting experience yesterday, the my neighbors came over, and they've been helping with the 1159 Media Store production of all this of the stuff that got purchased. And then they came over and they, I was writing my story for this episode and they came in and the wiferator was with them and they said, Hey, we're wondering, cause they were doing so much stuff. They were doing shirts and shirts and sh- hoodies and all this stuff out there. And they were like, how many things total did we sell? And I said, let me look it up. And I looked it up 3,420 items, right? blows my mind and I could see the blood run out of their face because they're, you know, helping so much and working on those. Anyway, bring that up because of the store. I had a special request from a gentleman. He, he messaged me and he said, um, I, I want to say this respectfully. Um, he, he said, I really want to buy some stuff from the store, but I don't think you have my size. And I said, oh, I can get any size. Yeah, I mean, I've just kind of have to cut it off at a certain size because, you know, with inventory and everything, it's hard to carry things that we might not sell out of, so, or whatever. I said, so just tell me your size and I'll get it ordered. And um, he said, that would be amazing. 7XL. 7XL. Okay. And then, and then he was very... What's he, buying the shirt for his house? (laughs) <laughs> well, okay. So you bring up a good point. He was like, I, I really appreciate you doing this and not commenting on my size. And I had, I don't know what the guy looked like. So I Facebook stalked him and I'm expecting, I'm expecting, you know, what you would expect and you see a person that is a seven XL, but no, this man is just a giant. He's a literal giant and i was just like wow i mean he carries his weight well and everything he's just a very very big man Mm -hmm. and also i felt bad for him instantly and for myself because i said you know what just just order at the biggest size that we offer and for anybody out there this isn't a fat shaming thing but this is difficult for somebody who provides apparel you know sells apparel is Everywhere you buy clothes from, when you buy raw materials to design shirts, sizes small through XL are the same price. It doesn't matter. Even though there's a whole lot, you know, less fabric in a small versus an XL, they, they charge you the same price for those, the, the, let's say, those shirts. 2XL, they add $1 or $2 to it. 3XL, they add $1 or $2 to it. 7XL, I went to order. Can you take just take a guess? I ordered a hoodie, a zip-up front hoodie, 7XL, and a t-shirt, 7XL. Just take a guess on how much that cost me to buy. Uh, I'll take a guess. Yeah. $80? $74. Oh, Man, that was a good guess. For two pieces of a... And and I bring this up because, like, can you imagine, like, people already struggle with their weight, maybe. And then on top of that, that that is the price they have to pay to to get clothes that fit. I just... Yeah. It made me... It made me... I, I had, a like, a new level of respect um, for kind of the difficult... The, the struggles. We, people that fall outside of the the norm but mm-hmm. you know it's interesting i don't know i thought that was interesting 
Yeah. And you said he was a giant. Imagine the the hammock on the Miundi yeah, exactly. that this guy wears. But good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Serious. Half of it is for balls Swear. and dick. Swear. <laughs> it comes with two small saplings that you fashion to each leg. No, but we are saying we are talking a lot of smack, and I feel like this fellow could probably beat all three of our swears at yeah, the same time. He he's legit, <laughs> and you know, because just because you're big doesn't mean you're all 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 the time that you're fat. This this man was just just a giant. It was I was impressed, yeah, and scared of him a little bit. Anyway, we should we start. Sorry, uh, we should yeah. rename this uh, man hug, you know, or bear man. hug, <laughs> and get get a picture of him for the cover, right? Yeah, but then we'd somebody would spin it off and make one called She Hug. Oh, oh boy. Here we go again. Man. Anyway, my story. You ready for this one? It's going to blow your mind. Yep. Okay. I only want to say, kind of pay attention. <laughs> uh, I know you have a tendency to fall asleep during my stories, but this one's pretty good. All right, here we go. <clears throat> In the early 1920s, Amy was fortunate enough to travel the world. And back then, weight on an airplane was really critical. Each passenger's luggage was scrutinized as well as their clothing even. Excess weight was just not looked down upon, but it might just prevent you from flying back then. In Amy's industry, as in many at the time, it was also male-dominated, and she was determined to not stand out any more than she needed to. So she stood out due to her knowledge already and her skill already, which was fine, and actually that helped contribute to her ability to integrate into a very male-dominated industry. However, she was determined to never let the men around her become critical of anything having to do with her quote-unquote womanness, right? So on her long trips across the sea from continent to continent, Amy would limit herself to the clothes on her back and a hairbrush. This meant that when she landed at her destination, she would often be limited to either the clothing on her back or the off chance that she could borrow clothing from a friend in the town she was visiting. So not an ideal situation for anyone. In my own past, even, I owned and operated businesses that sent me on a lot of flights to various destinations. And some flights were long, some were longer, and some were even longer than that. There is one major problem with air travel and business. Airports and airlines often leave telling signs that you've been buckled into a seat in coach on an airplane for nine hours. Your clothes are wrinkled, everything seems to get untucked, and the jet lag adds that nice pale color that just finishes off the whole look. So air travel and fashion are bitter rivals. So Amy, being a woman of the 20s and fashion being a thing, experienced this more than most. She disliked all of the confining nature of women's clothing of the time. And she set out to fix it by creating a new innovation in women's fashion called, quote unquote, separates. These new separates, they were groundbreaking in fashion. They consisted of interchangeable tops like blouses and shirts and lower body clothing such as like skirts and shorts and stuff. Most importantly, it opened up less formal options for women's attire. So she focused on using the most comfortable materials and focused on fashionable function rather than just fashion. Up until then, most of the women's attire would have to be sent out to be laundered or dry cleaned if it got dirty. 
Amy's fashion ideas used light fabrics like parachute silk, and it had zip-out linings for easy washing and stuff like that. So being quite the cosmopolitan herself, she often acted actually as a contributing editor of Cosmopolitan magazine. Her designs were noticed by fashion icons around the world, and her first public design was published in a two-page spread in Vogue magazine. This brought her massive exposure, and department stores and brands from all over the world began clamoring to have her wear their clothing on her trips. Ultimately, her day job and all of its travels became completely funded by these sponsorships from these companies and brands because she was innovating in the fashion industry. Uh, she'd wooed the fashion icons and become one herself. In 1933, she officially launched her complete line of practical women's apparel. Active living was a sportier term that had never really been conceived of by women at the time. She was selling out of a single apartment with one seamstress or sewer, as Kent might call them. Sewer. See episode 13 of True Crime Kent for the punchline to that joke. <laughs> Amy was on fire. Ultimately, the demand for her clothing was so intense that five manufacturers were required to keep up with the production. She was selling in over 30 department store chains, and everything was going gang butter, as they said back then. Mm. And then Amy decided to stop. She just quit. She got tired of the frenetic pace and the intense pressure that came with the increased demand. And so she just decided to close up shop. She went back to traveling as often as she could. And even though this rising star of the fashion world decided it was for time for her light to go out, she wasn't done making headlines. You see, Amy's first love was more than just traveling. It was the act of flying that she loved. She worked from being on an airplane as a flight recorder to becoming behind the controls herself. She pushed boundaries, aimed for new heights constantly. Three years after she burst onto the scene from London to New York, she would take her final flight off of a runway in an obscure part of New Guinea with big plans. Amy took off on what was planned to be a 29,000-mile flight. Shortly before the last leg of her journey, her blip on the radar disappeared. Ground control lost contact with her, and Amy disappeared into the history books. So today, if you find yourself enjoying the freedom and flexibility that accompanies that two-piece tennis suit or that functional blouse with a catchy pair of khakis, look to the skies and whisper a little thank you to Amy or as we all knew her more affectionately as Amelia Earhart. Shut up. I'm serious. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Shut I couldn't up. even believe you said Amelia Earnhardt earlier because that's my story. It's about wow. Amelia and Earhart. That wasn't planned. No! That's blow my mind. I couldn't say anything. That magic just it happened. It was magic. <laughs> wow. Man. Could you believe that? I can't believe she was that large. I thought that she was <laughs> tiny. <laughs> I thought she was tiny too. She wasn't. And I can't believe her last name was Earhart. <laughs> she wasn't wearing parachute silk because she was large. Is that what you mean? I don't know. <laughs> wow. 
Didn't she? Now she's in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Still living off, living off that extra weight to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Other people had circumnavigated the globe when she had planned her trip. Uh, and she wasn't alone. She had a, a gentleman with her that was like the uh, flight recorder mm. or navigator. And uh, But her, her trip was planned as the longest. So it started as close to the equator as possible in New Guinea. And it was going to end in New Guinea again. So she was going to land in the same spot. So she was literally in the last leg of her flight when she disappeared. So she had almost made the whole trip, but I didn't know anything about like uh, anything about her. Like as far as her fashion, I didn't know she was like this fashion. I always kind of thought she was like kind of this no. brute force woman, like the ultimate superwoman power, you know, just like you look at her face and you look in those eyes and you can just see that like she would eat anyone who got in her way, you know, or anything apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, I'm so jealous that I didn't think of that joke. Kids <laughs> are terrible. Oh, anyway, I thought that oh. was kind of cool. She was a fashion icon before she, you know, was really actually they kind of ran parallel. I I built that story to kind of blindside you on, but she was pretty obviously pretty popular as a avionautics aeronautics person during this time too yeah learned a lot there man she didn't see it coming i'm gonna look up you know look up a picture of her yeah she's she's good looking because i always when i picture amelia Earhart, i picture a, a slender attractive woman that's what you find that's what she was she was slender she was attractive yeah that's what when yeah. you after she'd been starved after a flight maybe <laughs> This is this is all news to me. <laughs> all right, Ob, great story. As he looks up that picture. Yeah, she was a pretty lady. She was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought that was amazing. Uh, and and to be fa- so so she did quit. Um Oh, she looks a little buxom in that photo, yeah. CC on the end, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh so she did quit the fashion industry. She she quit her line partially also because and this is cool. This just tells you how cool she was. Uh she quit the massive production because the economy crashed, right? And no one could buy stuff from boutique stores anymore. Nobody could afford it. So she actually converted her whole line to um a magazine orders, but different than like Amazon today, where uh, instead of ordering from a magazine and the clothes showed up to your house, you ordered and received the patterns to create, to sew the clothes yourself. So she was trying to kind of repurpose her fashion line so that people could still take advantage of it, even though they were like today stuck in their homes because of a worldwide problem. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of, she was like, ah, nah. And so she uh, went back to flying. Wow. No one's ever, I've never heard that story before, told in that way. I neither. No, I had no idea. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about with her. I mean, there, there are like conspiracy theories that she had survived and she was on an island with, I don't know, cannibals or something like that. 
I believe that they've found DNA evidence in people living on that island that right. that's, that indicate that she probably survived. Uh, right. She reproduced on that island? Wow. Maybe. It's possible. Um, so, either that or they ate her and if it went in her. <laughs> swear. <laughs> like, there's, not a, there's not a happy ending. Dude, I almost swear. Personally, we're swearing. We're going to have to get to swear. They said it. Swear. Dude's like, <laughs> swear? Like, they swear. Works, right? Swear? <laughs> and you can swear. Swear? That. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Or I could just swear out the whole thing. <laughs> swear, 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 swear. <laughs> and then we just laugh. Um, um, anyway. Well, it was good while it lasted. <laughs> oh, boy. We made it to episode two. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how about the hug drawer? Anybody got anything uh, for the hug drawer? Yeah, uh, sure. I got one right here. Just got to get to it. Um. I have a podcast, but also, actually, I wanted to shout out that book. So the book about Ada Blackjack was by Jennifer Niven, N-I-V-E-N, Niven. Ada Blackjack, A True Story of Survival. And I wanted to shout out a podcast. My thing will be, I mean, sure, it's probably you guys' thing, too, is is shouting out Lesser Known Podcast. And it's one that the op and I have been looking at for a little while here. It's a strange thing. A strange thing got, uh, I got hit to it through the operator, I guess the guy, the, these guys live around him, Mike and Austin, and they kind of cover stories of the paranormal and just the weird, the strange. Uh, they went to, what was that op? The old state penitentiary or something like that it's called? Yeah, the old state penitentiary that they believe is haunted. Mm-hmm. It's, those guys are crazy. One thing that's really, just so I didn't mean to cut you off. No, please. One thing that's really neat about the way that they do their podcast is every, every, every topic that they cover almost without fail ends up as two parts uh, episodes. The first one is they discuss what their, you know, the backstory, the history on the place. And the second one is they go there. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really cool podcast. And yeah, like you said, I would love to be able to do that. Oh, they're living the dream. They, they, they bought, they have motorcycles They've bought a uh, like a van to do this stuff, and yeah, and and uh, how I heard about them is I was producing some apparel for this hunting company, and and they said, hey, I've got a friend Austin, he might be reaching out to you, and so Austin reaches out to me, and he's like, hey, I heard you do apparel. I'm like, yeah, and he said, could you do this a strange thing logo on a couple motorcycle jerseys? I was like, sure. Uh, so I only produced like two hats and two shirts for him something like that really cool logo and then i come to find out when he picks them up he's like yeah this is for our podcast and i was like let me show you something <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're good they're good like he said like they'll they'll talk about they'll give the history of the place before they go at least in the, those episodes on old state penitentiary and then they actually go and then they'll give you the feedback of what their experience was like. And it's a perfect podcast for, for myself. I love that paranormal stuff. And the fact that they actually go to the place and give the history and all that. It's it's a really well-rounded podcast. Plus, the hosts are really likable. And their production quality is really good, too. It's a father and son team. The father is really well-spoken, uh, really, really, really well-researched. And the son is funny and a smart guy, too. So I'd definitely recommend a strange thing podcast, and we might uh, take them under our wing a little bit as time goes on here too, in certain ways. Yeah, 
And Jack uh, actually introduced me to it, too. I've listened to a few episodes, and it is really good. It is very good. It's not every day that you come across a podcast that is so well-produced, with likable hosts, with a with a really interesting model for their episodes, to come to find out that they have almost 40 episodes. And when I... I just, I'm like, I love these guys. You guys love these guys. And I asked them, I was like, I won't, I won't, I won't say what it was, but to, to find out how many people don't know about this yeah. show is astonishing. Yeah. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to give them some, you know, all the, all the attention. Yeah. Strange thing. And it's, strange and it's, thing. and it's like, it's worth even like doubling down on it that I didn't realize it was a father and son team for quite, for a couple of episodes where I'm like, man, these guys got yeah. a really good dynamic and, and clearly have a good relationship, but they're like friends. They're friends too. You know, it's a really healthy yeah. father son relationship besides all of that. It's kind of like a byproduct of it. It's really nice to hear for people like Kent who doesn't have a father anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. I'll give you that. Gorge pal. <laughs> I'm I uh hit below the belt. Ref takes a point away. <laughs> I uh I went to Starbucks. They live close to me, right? So I went to Starbucks and met with them. And they're engaged. They're just as engaging in public. I, we were supposed to spend about an hour together. We ended up spending like four. Uh, we shut Starbucks down, so that was fun. Anyway, you and who? <laughs> These uh, Austin and shut Mike, the, the the guys from from uh, oh from okay. the podcast. Yeah, I met with them. It's hard to That's shut cool. a Starbucks down, man. Well, we closed you know? it. You know, we were we were there. No, I know, but like we were there long enough that all of the uh, like, what do you got in a Starbucks? You got the entrepreneurs, you've got the life coaches, hipsters, hipsters. All of those people had gone away, and we were left, and they they shushed us out. Wow. All right. Well, uh, Ken, Ken, you got anybody to shout out? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll throw a book recommendation out, and that's a book uh, by a, a great author. Her name is Mary Roach, and the book is stiff. And it's uh, they do a, she does a deep dive on human cadavers, um, stuff like decomposition, what happens to to bodies when they go to they get donated to science. Um, sometimes. <laughs> Uh, not so much anymore, but they used to use them in crash test collisions oh, for like Chevrolet Ford. Really? When they're testing. Yes. For a long time, they did that. Oh. Uh, they would just throw a cadaver in a, in a, you know, Chevy Impala and drive it into a wall at 90 miles an hour and see what happened to the corpse. Um, and and this, it's chock full of really fascinating, very, very morbid information. Uh, just an example of the kind of stuff that kind of gets covered in here. There was a plane crash, and the way that they determined the malfunction in the plane, they, the way they determined where the origin of the initial explosion took place was they took all these corpses, they rented out a, a massive warehouse, and then they laid these corpses out in the seating arrangements that they would have been in on the plane. And then by assessing the damage to the corpses and the direction of the, the shrapnel, they were able to pinpoint where the initial explosion took place. Really? Wow. 
which is really smart and something I would have never thought to do. Yeah. Partially because it doesn't sound legal, but <laughs> at the same time, wow. And they, she goes into that in the book, that whole process. And, you know, they were able to, to buy, by looking at these corpses in their seating arrangements on the plane, they were able to, to determine the direction of the initial explosion. And they were able to, because of the damage on the, on the bodies. That's amazing. And she goes into body farms in Tennessee. Um, uh, what happens to, to, she, she was, uh, she sat in for a class for aspiring plastic surgeons where they all got their literal own head on a platter to practice facelifts on. Oof. Uh, yeah, a lot of morbid stuff that happens behind the scenes that we don't know about that she goes into. And it's a really great book. It's called Stiff. Stiff. Uh, and her name is Mary Roach. Fantastic author. Their own head in a platter? So they take like a, like a, they uh, do a plaster. No, they, they just no. They cut a head off, a human head on a oh, plate. Oh, they get their own head. They get their own head to work. They get their oh, own I head, see. and then they set it at a desk, and they practice facelifts. Okay. on a human head. Oh, I thought that they put some plaster over their own heads, and then they get to work with their own face through plaster or something like that. I'm way up. They have their own personal head, <clears throat> their own head to I'm work sorry, with. Man. T- so, Grandma, you know, she download, she donates her body to science, and some poor kid's grandma is her head. Wow. Is now That's making me rethink in front what of I have written on my donor card. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to play basketball with my head <laughs> somewhere? <laughs> and what if your head ends up in the shitty student's yeah. <laughs> hands? You know, the, or the half-asser that just draws dicks on your forehead <laughs> and doesn't take the class seriously. You look like a slipknot mask. You by the mega death. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, speaking well. of that, do you, know, do you know what they practice? Do you know what tattoo artists practice tattooing on? No, I'm assuming dead skin, though, right? Pig skin. Oh, pig skin. Okay. Yeah, so they get it from the butchers, and then they can practice practice huh. on on pig skin. I think Kent wow. might have. Did you know oh. that tattoo artists hate tattooing heroin addicts because they bleed out? <laughs> because their skin is literally tougher, and it's hard to penetrate. Huh. Oh man. It just kind of bounces off the skin. That's what I've heard. I might have just told a lot. <laughs> you you know Do you know how you can tell a person is a tattoo artist? How? It's the first thing they say to you when you meet them. That's <laughs> 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 yeah, That's good. That's good. <sighs> and the constant uh, thing they say to you as you get to know them. But <laughs> hey, so my, my uh, hug drawer hug. Uh, shout out is for a really cool uh, we've all know this guy you guys know lavar burton yeah. oh reading rainbow yeah he has a podcast yeah. where this is called lavar burton reads and man i gotta tell you it's not just a kid's pod it's not a kid's podcast it, he he reads short stories every episode he reads another short story and he sets you up so well. He has you like he does this deep breath at the beginning. If you follow follow in with it, and then he tells the short story. It, it is amazing. I got to be honest, amazing. And it's it is a really good podcast. You should uh, check it out for yourself. I'm sure you'll like it. Yeah. So uh, another thing, uh, uh, two things. One, we'll always leave the hug drawer links 
in the description. So anything that we shout out, we'll leave in the description. And you've heard uh, every podcaster under the sun say the following words, like, review, subscribe, bleep, blah, bleep, a doop, boop, right? As Kent puts it. But guess what? I've got some interesting new facts for you. Guess what doesn't help you as a podcaster? Reviews. Ratings and reviews. I always thought they did. But guess what? If you're listening and you're a podcaster or you're listening and you love your podcaster, those don't help. The, the one thing that those do, ratings and reviews, if you got enough of those, you could potentially show up on iTunes hot list which oh, is God. like hot right now, right? Yeah. But who cares about that? The lists that really matter are your genres list, so like true crime, you know, or whatever, and the top 200. Those are the two lists. Guess how to help your podcaster, your favorite podcast, get on those lists. Guess how? Just, okay. <laughs> I don't know, word of mouth. You open up the app and you download the episodes. That's how you do it. it. It's not even about listening. It's not about listening. This blew my mind. But I but I've I've got this on on a very reliable source that if you want to help your favorite podcast out, you go, you open up your iTunes app. This is just, you know, basically ratings on iTunes, but go and then you you click get or download every episode. And that helps their helps them rank on iTunes. Can I tell you another way to get your podcast seen? Yeah. Is if you're a celebrity and you just decide to start talking into a microphone. That's a good point. Yeah. Yes. Or also, if you have some kind of clout or you have somebody that you know in the business, they'll put you onto those, you know, suggested for you type stuff. When you look at like the suggestions from Apple right now, I've clicked on some of them as I was looking through podcasts to listen to. And I'm like, this is garbage. And then I realized yeah. that person has a YouTube channel that's doing really well, and they decided to do a podcast on the side. Or this is a celebrity, and now they're doing a podcast. It's like they're just yeah. catering to these people that they think that they can make money off of. But there's some really good gems hidden that you'll never hear about, except for here is what we're hoping to open up a little bit of that with. With the, we're going to give hugs to the people that need them. Uh, unlike Apple, who will just be like, "Hey, come on over hey, here." Hey, she's a make- pretty blonde wearing a, yeah. a toque, and she swears a lot. Let's make yeah. her top. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, here we are. Yeah, again. Exactly. You- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I effed every guy in the industry. <laughs> Look at me. Exactly. Four hundred billion downloads. <laughs> So if you want to help the podcasters, if you want to help the little guy, what you do is you open up your podcast app, doesn't uh, iTunes or whatever, and you make sure that your phone has downloaded all the episodes or listen to the listen the heck out of those episodes. And that that's that's really it. I mean, it really comes down to we do best by you doing your best. Yeah, man. <laughs> and then we continue to do our best. <laughs> and to what you're saying there like like this like podcasting is guerrilla radio it was supposed to be and it yeah. was that for a time you know joe rogan all that kind of started it really putting it out into the, to the ether where people were starting to hear it and then people were enjoying like when true crime podcast came in just regular joes like myself or you guys you know who are just you know you pick it up search true crime there's only about a hundred now there's thousands and then and then they choose from it's becoming very corporate where they'll 
choose the ones that they think they can best, you know, make advertising off of and whatever. It's um, it's losing its its in, uh, independent value. If you like independent podcasting, value. it's gone. Yeah, now they're pretending to be indie to right. grab your attention, but they're not. Like they they have people helping them out behind the scenes. So we'll, we'll do our best to try to help out the, the the little guys like ourselves, even as we go here. Yep. Every podcast player out there, you hit that that play that play, that playlist of episodes for a podcast. There's like a little download button or like a down arrow or little dots, and then you can select select download. That's the way to help the indies. If you're gonna, if you want to help uh, help them uh, find more people, obviously word of mouth helps too. But those mm-hmm. are just a couple tricks, tricks and tips from the Hugs so basically, <laughs> basically your trick was to uh, download the podcast. Yep. <laughs> okay, here's how I found that out though. Is there's a there's a million companies in India that say that they'll help you raise in, rise in the ranks. Don't message those guys back. Don't message them back. But guess what trick they use? They have a thousand iTunes accounts and then they go into those iTunes accounts and they just hit download on the episodes. Yeah. And then you right. sh- you literally will show up on the top 200. You'll show yeah. up there for a week and then you drop off um, because you can't, that's not sustainable. Because you're not very good if you're going yeah. for those kind of tricks. But go ahead. Exactly. But true growth happens when you have your actual listeners at having your episodes at the ready on their phone. Also, it helps you if you're ever running and you run out of cell phone range and your podcast will keep playing, by the way, if you download them to your phone. So anyway. Fun facts to know and share. All right. Anyway, you guys have got anything else? Or you want no, to just go? Ready to go. Okay. I'm, I'm done. Okay, fine. Well, I love you guys. <laughs> love you too, man. Hey, Kent. Yeah. Do you, do you love anybody? <laughs> I love you guys. All right. Good. All right. <laughs> Hugs, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>